Well, Wendy had showed me a, uh, I guess, a, uh, I can't remember if it was a text or a, uh, an email from uh, three years ago, uh, earlier this week. Three years ago was when my father had fallen. Uh, he was out mowing the yard and had fallen and actually broken his neck. Uh, uh, and so he was in the, uh, they had rushed him to the hospital at Asheville. And so I was thinking about that. I'm just so very thankful that uh, uh, he survived that, that he's still alive. And I'm, uh, I, I think of him and honor him. And honor, I can't, and honor him on Father's Day. We'll come up closer. <clears throat> but, you know, he's, he, has, he has always been my uh, idol somebody that I've looked up to uh, all of my life. And yet, you look at dads today, and they get picked on a whole lot. Uh, they get made fun of a lot, uh, especially in the media. They're portrayed pretty negatively in all types of media. Uh, and you've got absentee fathers. You've got dad jokes although I think some of the dad jokes are pretty funny yeah yeah uh, but the the studies and the research they say that fathers occupy a critical role in a child's development and they play a big role in the shaping of their son's identity of masculinity they play a big role in their daughter's idea of what a man should be. And so I'm going to focus today on, I guess, a biblical view of what a father should be. Maybe a, uh, 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 a biblical theology of fatherhood. And so what, what I'm going to do is, is, you know, some of you may say, well, the focus is on men, on fathers, but it's really for everyone because you're, I'm presenting an understanding of what a father is, kind of combining it with parenting. And those of you like Henry, I hope that you will be able to understand more of what it of what you're going to be growing into uh, as you grow into adulthood. And so there are three topics that I want to look at today. And the first one is, where does a father derive his identity? Uh, what, is, uh, what is God's description of what a father should be? And what is the task of a father, of a Christian father? Basically, it's what is... God's job description for a father and then what are the resources that a father has at his disposal uh, what are the provisions that enable a father to do his duties as a Christian father I mean, so I mean for for uh, for us I mean I'll pick on you Jonathan Jonathan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on you. When you wake up every morning, throw the covers off the bed, roll out of, 
roll out of bed, what's the first thing that comes to mind? <laughs> Get back to bed. <laughs> Stretch, wake up. Yeah, what's the first thought? Uh, many things. I mean, each day is it's a new thing. But family. There, there you go. Family. You know, sometimes my first thoughts, what's the weather going to be today? Because how the weather is, is how I'm possibly going to dress, what clothes I'm going to pick out. But I, I guess I was thinking that for a, for a husband and a father, you should be entering the day seeking to fulfill your role as a husband and as a father. Uh, that should be your first thought. What am I going to do today as a husband and father? How am I going to... Uh, encourage them in the Lord today. Now, as a father, you're thinking, I'm their provider. I'm their protector. I'm their friend. I'm their guide. Uh, and there, there's a long list of, of, of things that people say about what a father should do or what a father should be. But our concept of fatherhood should not be something that is derived from societal con, uh, consensus or from cultural traditions or even from personal inclinations. We need to know what God has to say about being a father. And the basic answer, just to give it out, is, is this. Here's, here's what God says about a father. By God's divine appointment, the father has the role as God's ordained leader over the family responsible to administer God's rule for family life as it is found in the Bible. That's a long one, I know. Uh, by God's divine appointment, a father has the role of ordained leadership is the ordained leader over the family responsible to administer God's rule for family life as it is found in Scripture. That's the identity of a father. God has made a father to be the head of the family to administer his rule according to his word in the household in which he's placed you. And, the, I mean, the, the scriptural basis for this, many, many places, but I just want to point out two of them. And one of them actually comes out of, or actually both of them, out of the commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8, says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, notice that this is really addressed primarily to the father, the head of the household. And it continues. 
you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or the female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, the stranger who is within your gates. And when God gave this command, understand, he envisioned the father, the male head of the household, as the servant leader. And he's saying, I'm requiring you to require that God's law is followed by all who were in your household. God's saying that even the stranger, the sojourner that comes into your gate... You have the right to insist that that stranger coming onto your turf recognizes God's authority and keeps God's day holy. And so God is saying that, again, as the head of the household, as a father, you're my governor to require my commandments to be followed by all who come within the sphere of your household. That was pretty, I mean, it, you know, it's, it kind of opened my eyes to go, wow, it's, it encompasses more than just your, your immediate family in this sense. Now, the very next commandment, honor your father and mother. You know, God's speaking to children, and he says, honor your father and mother. But why? Because they have been appointed by God as your mother and father. And, and it's interesting, this commandment is repeated in the New Testament. And there, there's a nuance here that I think helps us to underscore this principle, the principle that God has appointed the Father to have the leadership role in the household. It's out of Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So it says, honor your father and mother. Why? Why do you do that? You do it because it is right. Because it's been ordained by God. Who says it's right? Oh, God. Is it right because the parents are bigger and stronger? Well, it might feel right when the kids are little. But if you're basing it on the parents being bigger and stronger when they grow up to be taller, bigger, and stronger than the parents, what has happened to your authority structure then? You know, what happens when they become a teenager and they are better at Taekwondo than you are? <laughs> Is it right because the parents are wiser, more mature, older? No. It's right because God has determined that children should honor and obey their parents and submit to the parental rule and governing. First Timothy, interestingly, First Timothy has this to say about the role of men. It's really about the role of an elder or pastor. It says he must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. Wow. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? It's interesting, in this short passage right here, two times, it talks about managing his own household. And so what on what basis does a man 
assume to manage his household. That basis, again, is because God has appointed him or ordained him as the head of the household. And he is responsible to administer God's rule for the family as it's found in Scripture. And a father's not doing this because he's bigger, stronger, or wiser. He's doing this because God has appointed him to that role or to that position. I want to use Abraham as an example. When, when God spoke of Abraham, he spoke of Abraham in terms of being a man who understood his identity. It says this in Genesis, For I have chosen him, God speaking about Abraham, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to do what? To keep the way of the Lord. And how are they going to keep the way of the Lord? By doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So God is saying, I've chosen Abraham as my leader to require, the term really means impose. Impose my commands on the entire sphere of his household. Everything that is under his stewardship. And we have Joshua. In Joshua 24, 15, when Joshua tells the nation, he says, you're a bunch of spiritually fickle people. You say, I will serve the Lord, but you're really not committed to serve him. And Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, did Joshua think that he was going to put grace in the hearts of his children, in the hearts of the members of his household, that he could give them an internal change of heart to love God? No. Only God can do that. God's the one that says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. God's the one that says, I will remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And I will be the one that will help you to cause you to be careful to obey my rules. Only God can put that internal delight to obey his rules in the heart of any sinner. But God expects a godly father to make sure that God's statutes and rules are obeyed in his household insofar as he's responsible for the external behavior and even the structure of that household. You know, there's this whole motif that runs through the, through the book of Proverbs where the writer assumes that he has a God-given responsibility to ensure that his children will obey all the ways and the word of the Lord. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And think about it. A father doesn't have any right to talk this way unless God has appointed him with the authority to impose, require God's rule on that family structure. And, and in the New Testament... 
there are, interestingly, there are two instances where you have a description of something that I would call advanced spiritual depravity. And I'll point this out as I read these two. The first one is out of Romans 1, 29 and 31. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Why in the world does that get thrown in with that list? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. But why did disobedient to parents find its way into that list? And then in 2 Timothy, for peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, again, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, brutal, not loving good. So why do we find the phrase disobedient to parents in this list of of advanced spiritual depravity? I mean, it's you would think it's shocking to find something as like that. But so the reason is is that disobedience to parents is not just disobedience to parents, but it is defiance against the will of God. It's defiance against God's ordained family government, God's ordained family structure. God places the parents in the position of the designated authority to administer God's rule for family living. And to defy that, to reject that, is the height of spiritual depravity. I mean, Rebellion against mom and dad is really not just some innocent stage of youth. It is unrighteousness. And just like any other sin, it desperately needs the cleansing blood of Christ. So, do you see what the identity, where the identity of the father comes from? As a father, your, your, your identity is by divine designation. You are God-authorized. You are a God-authorized servant leader of your children, of your family. You are responsible to administer God's rule in spiritual wisdom, spiritual wrought love and patience but with an unflinching commitment and manly courage and dogged determination so that by the grace of God, the power of Christ, you're going to be true to who God has made you. So that's where your identity comes from. You are ordained in your role through God. That's the identity. Now what about your task? What is your divine job description? Do you ever think that God has given a job description to fathers? And there's actually two explicit commands in Scripture. 
found in Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And here are two explicit commands to fathers. You ask, well, who is addressed concerning the rearing of children in the home? Now, in Ephesians 6.1, just a little bit prior to, to this, Paul tells children to obey their parents, and that includes mother and father. He goes on to say, honor your mother and father. And so Paul's not being careless with his use of nouns or what he chooses, who he chooses to direct these commands to. But when it comes to these commands in Ephesians 6, 4, and then later in, uh, in, in uh, Colossians, he specifically names fathers. It's the fathers that Paul addresses in regard to, to the responsibility of the discipline and instruction of the children. And it's not just any kind of father either. This command comes at the end or toward the end of Ephesians. And Paul has already described what kind of man, what kind of father he has in mind. These are men who at one time were dead in their trespasses and sin. At one time they were considered children of wrath, but who are now alive together with Christ. These are fathers who are part of the new humanity made up of Jew and Gentile. They are people determined by the grace of God to no longer be darkened in their understanding or to no longer be alienated from the life of God, but are being transformed by the renewal of their minds so that they can walk in a way that is pleasing to God. These are fathers who are determined to love, their, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They're determined to be filled with the Holy Spirit that they may please God. And all of this precedes what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4. And now he says to them as new men in Christ, as men raised from the dead and united with Christ, as men seated in the heavenly places with Christ, men who can be filled with the Holy Spirit, fathers, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's fathers who primarily and explicitly have the administrative responsibility of the discipline and instruction of their children. And now granted, and you've got to take this, that the husband and wife are one flesh. And they are to be united in their commitment to parenthood. And they are to share in the actual working out of a child's nurture. But I think the point that scripture is making clear here is that it is the father who must feel the pressure on their conscience to walk this out. God addresses us fathers fundamentally and primarily with this responsibility. And what is the environment in which fathers are supposed to carry out this task of bringing up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, it comes to us as a negative here where it says, fathers, 
Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't do something that will provoke them to an, to an unnecessary anger. Don't rule in a loveless, a hard, a brittle, or an unreasonable way that will unnecessarily provoke anger or produce a crippling discouragement. But you notice the text does not say, don't ever do anything that will make them angry. Because if you are administering God's rule in your home, you're going to do things at times. You're going to expect things. You're going to demand things of them within God's rule that will get them ticked off. Amen. <laughs> and you're not to back off and say, oh, I should never do anything that will make my children angry. No. You're not to provoke them to anger through unreasonableness or through fault finding or through neglect. So the environment in the home is one that is free of excessive severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, unfairness or constant nagging or condemnation. But it doesn't mean that as you bring them under the rule and authority of God, that they're not gonna get that they're not gonna get frustrated and kick against that at times. But now what is the heart or the essence of our task? And it's all I think bound up in one in one word nurture. And this is a word that Paul uses in Ephesians twenty nine five. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We nourish our own flesh. We're concerned for our own physical well-being. We take care of illnesses and injuries. We do whatever is needed to help ourselves function as we should. And we're to nurture our children. All that makes them, them, is to be the focus of our nurturing. In other words, a father has the responsibility to establish and administer a parental influence that is aimed at developing the whole child in preparation for the child taking their place in the real world to the glory of God. And that's no small task. Think about this. Our children, children are creatures with never dying souls. They're created image bearers of God. Fallen and perverse sinners, just like we were. They are, they are marred image bearers. They're moldable. They're pliable. And God says to nurture them. They are fragile flowers that can be crushed in the hands of a parent or they can be made to blossom beyond expectation, bringing untold joy. Look at the development of Jesus in terms of his true humanity. Luke 2, uh, verses 51 and 52 says, 
uh, and he went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was submissive to his parents, Mary and Joseph, in his human nature. And he grew in wisdom and understanding under their parenting. And I would say as fathers, it is our responsibility to nurture our children and see them grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And as fathers, how do we accomplish this task? Now that we know what the task is, how do we accomplish it? Bringing them up in discipline and instruction of the, of the Lord. You know, Calvin says that this phrase, bring them up, really could be viewed of, of let them be kindly cherished. He then goes on to emphasize that this overall idea is through gentleness and friendliness. We're to be tender in bringing up our children. Men are never more true men than when they are tender with their children. Holding a baby in their arms, loving their grade schooler, hugging their teenager, or hugging their grown-up son or daughter. And then there's discipline or training. And let me tell you, this is a strong word, this discipline. It really means discipline even by punishment. Pilate used this word when he said of Jesus, I will therefore punish him and then release him. It's the same word in the Greek. And here's what scripture says. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that scripture is Hebrews twelve eleven. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline produces practical righteousness. It produces peace, shalom, well-being, and wholeness. And then there is instruction. Verbal instruction, verbal warning. And the, war, and the word instruction here literally means to place before the mind. Oftentimes it means to confront. And uh, I'll use an example here as to where the high priest Eli was an abysmal domestic failure in raising his sons. In 1 Samuel, it tells us, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. And I declare to him, that I am about to punish his house forever. 
for the iniquity he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrificing or offering forever. Wow. He knew the iniquity of his sons that they were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Now, and the Greek word here for restrain is the same root word for instruction that we have in Ephesians 6.4. Clear, forthright instruction is necessary for a proper upbringing of children. This takes time and thought. Two elements I think are so often neglected today. So think of what a picture this paints of solid discipline, clear verbal instruction, all wrapped up in nourishing tenderness. And notice that we're told to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Lord himself stands behind this kind of training and instruction so that it is he who ultimately disciplines and instructs. That's not intimidating at all, a task force as fathers, is it? It's not intimidating, is it, Jonathan? So we've, we've looked at a father's identity by God's design. We've looked at the job description and what are the resources that we have? Well, the Bible is where you derive all the wisdom, all the grace, all the strength that you need to fulfill God's task. Scripture really is sufficient. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God, and what is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible has the answers as to how you are to administer God's rule in the home. As men, men to be, we need to be soaking our souls in Scripture. We need to be taking our fundamental directives, our instructions from Scripture. Reading through the entire book of Proverbs to understand how to be a father. You know, the, the father, in, the, in Proverbs, it talks about the father teaching his sons to fear God, the base of all knowledge. He, in Proverbs, he's teaching his sons the dangers of laziness, the danger of bad friends or bad companions. You could almost use the book of Proverbs as a textbook on how to nurture your children. And then God says, if you were his, if you've been sealed by the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit, well, you've got a Heavenly Father who delights to give the Spirit to those who ask. And you can ask the Holy Spirit to give you the 
strength to fulfill your identity. You can ask the Holy Spirit to give you the wisdom to know how to mature your children with discipline and with instruction. And you can ask the Holy Spirit in what circumstances you need to press issues. You have the promise of the Holy Spirit to guide you. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And there will be times of need. And scripture gives us this promise that when there are times of need, there is a welcoming throne of grace that we can go to and we can say, oh, Lord Jesus, if there's something I've done, if there's some way that I've failed to do something, if I've contributed to this sin of my son or daughter or this outburst, if I've contributed to it, show me my sin. bring me to the point in my own heart where I'm willing not only to confess it to you father but to confess it to my own children have mercy and grace in my time of parental need we can always go to the throne of grace and ask this always 2 Peter 1 3 and 4 says this His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. What marvelous, marvelous promises we find in scripture. Do you lack wisdom? Ask of God. Do you lack strength? Ask of God. In your weakness, ask of God. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, God's power, is made perfect in your weakness. So men especially, I mean parents, but men especially today, I would challenge you, Plead with God to give you a clear understanding of your identity. Pray. Soak in the scriptures. You're called to be a nurturing husband, nurturing father. Some of you will be future husbands. (laughs) One thing I thought of, my father always said to me, A job worth doing is worth doing right. And as fathers, we need to do that job right. Commit yourself to the task. Lay hold of the resources God has provided so that when you stand before God, and by the way, if you didn't know this, I'm really preaching to myself today. So if you so that lay hold of these resources so that when you stand before God and give an account of your stewardship as a parent, as a father, that the Lord will say to you, 
well done, good and faithful servant. So by the grace of God, may you be a dad or a father or a parent after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, we have such a privilege to call you Father. Help us to be godly fathers, to listen to your word, to be doers of your word, and to walk in your ways. Help us to respond to what we've heard from your word today. May we be fathers who understand that our identity is found in you. May we see our task as truly being a God-given task and duty. Give us the strength to fulfill it. Help us to be nurturing fathers, nurturing parents. And Lord, we confess that we cannot do this apart from your grace. May we offer ourselves up to you, Lord. And may we display your glory in our lives as we lead our families. Amen. speaking I was thinking about all the management seminars I've been in where they they teach you the value of delegating delegate 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 okay spread out your tasks to as many people as possible um, so as you're thinking I said well I wonder if I could delegate that should I because if you marry a really wonderful wife you, know, you can kind of delegate some of these things, it seems, maybe. But then I thought, well, no, God, God's the one who delegated. He delegated it from himself to fathers to be this, to be this kind of uh, servant for his family. And, um, but a godly wife goes a long way. <laughs> page 23 <clears throat> you know the whole idea of of families is God's idea the whole idea of a male and a female is God's idea the whole idea of being fruitful and multiplying and covering the earth is God's idea it's only to stand as a reason that God would give instructions about how that, that unit should work, how that family unit should work. And God has given us perfect truth and wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? Who, O oh Lord, could lead a family? Lord, as we get ready to pray, 
sing. I just want to lift up these names. Lord, you convicted me that we'd ask for names and maybe some names we hadn't mentioned. But I lift up Greg Edgerton to you. Lord, you minister life and health to his body, to his soul, to his spirit, to his mind. We pray, pray for Aunt Jane, Lord. Pray for Paul, Dennis, and Alex. Pray for Josh and Hope and Inez. Pray for Jackie and Vera. We pray for David and Adley and Jerry and Dwight. Dwight. Pray for Hugo. We pray for those kids that we know that we, we thought they were walking with you, Lord, but now it appears evident that they are not. We pray for Katya's family. Sisters, moms and dads and aunts. We pray, Father, that um, your love for them would be shown and a Father's love for them. Lord, if any of these have rejected the love of the Father, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, move upon them and open their eyes. Soften their hearts, Jesus. Because no one can save themselves. No matter what we think. We need a Savior. And you have given us the blessed, perfect, Redeemer, Savior, Jesus. Who, O Lord, could save themselves? It's the name of the song on page 23. seem impossible. How can we ever do what Roger just preached on? Or the requirements of being a mother. Lord, how could that how could that be possible? It's George, just like how could we possibly be saved? It's not possible without your your breathing life into it. Without your giving direction and hope and counsel and encouragement and Just telling us, believe your word and do it. Trust you, Lord, and take the step. We just trust you, Jesus. Teach us about fathers, about mothers, Lord, and and these particular special roles. Lord, teach us about being ambassadors of Christ. Being about being those who would take the love of Christ to those who need to hear about you. Lord, these things are impossible without your help. Just like it's impossible to be saved without the saving grace of Jesus Christ and his faith as a gift that he gives. Lord, so we lift up our eyes to the giver of life. We lift up our eyes to the giver of purpose. We lift up our eyes to the giver, who, to the one who calls us. To take dominion in our households. So Father, we, the names we just mentioned to you. And our own names. Or we, we insert our own names. May you show your favor. That these folks might confess and repent. And be forgiven. 
and grow and be healed and be set free and find freedom in Christ forever. Hallelujah. God bless your name, Lord. So, Father, we, we just we just thank you, Father, on this Father's Day. And offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, I pray that you'd minister life and health to everyone that's here and on the on the Zoom call. I ask for your presence in their lives. That this day would be a day of of rest and rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Would you deliver us from our fears and our worries and our doubts? Give us strength, Lord, to face every hardship and trial. Lord God, we give you thanks and we give you our praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a little bit of head start in Jesus' name took on quite a life at Crosswave Outreach. You'll hear about it next week, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I just have to say that on this song, it says, this, this line so stood out to me because it reminds me of a part in the drama, mm. the great divide you heal. Mm. And there's a part in the drama where the, the uh, father's standing behind Jesus and the cross is in between them and he does this and the cross goes away and then there's this break in the wall now that there's access to the father and it's just it's just so visual and it just it just takes it to, I just took it to heart it was just wow you know really it's taken from when the veil yeah. is torn yeah, from the top, from the top where it's hooked, where it's hanging, from the top to the bottom. The veil is torn away, and now there's access through Jesus. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a portrayal of the veil. But you know, Roger, I've been I've been thinking about your teachings on the on the tabernacle, and, and really, if Jesus is the pure sacrifice, and if the t- the temple in heaven is the one where it, where it all counts then all of the things in the Old Testament is like a drama portrayed right in front of people. They could see the drama of, 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 of sacrifice and atonement and the mercy seat. How do you do a drama and show mercy? Or covenant words of God and you have these, tab- these tablets of stone stone etched in stone. We think of that it's going to last forever, right? Nothing, it can never fade away. It's etched in stone. That's God's word sitting there, and, and then the the lamp, the lampstand, just another drama, and then the fret, the aroma. You said the smell. That's another drama going on, all to portray this until Jesus was ready for the fullness of time to come. Well, one one of the things I didn't mention at the role of the Father in today's message, is, you know, as a father, we're to point our children to the heavenly Father. Yeah. And one of the scenes out of the toy maker that I really love is when after Jesus' resurrection when he comes to the soldier and comes to the china doll and directs them yeah. to the father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he's the mediator between yes, them and the father. He, yeah. yeah. It doesn't it doesn't stop at Jesus. Right. He directs them right. to go to the Father. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great week. Fantastic week. It really was. Yeah. Henry? Oh, 
Um, one of the songs I think I sang it yesterday and the day before um, really touched me. The "I Will Change Your Name" song. It's a powerful song. We'll, we'll probably sing that next Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's a powerful song. We I will change your name because uh, people get called idiot, stupid. You're wasting oxygen. You'll never amount to anything. And if you've been called one of those things. God has a better name for you. I told the I told the, the team that I've had the privilege of naming four people. And why did I get to name these four people? Is that I had four children, and that's part of the role of a father and a mother is to name their children. But the Bible tells us that God has a new name for us. And I thought, well, why a new name? And then I thought, oh, if He's our Father. He has the right and the honor and the privilege of naming us what he would name us. And then I thought about all these people in the Bible where God tells an angel to go tell them, well, you're going to name him Jesus. Or you're going to name him whatever the names happen to be. He told Zechariah, you're going to name him John. And they said, you can't name him John. Nobody in your family's named John. He said, well, the angel told me to name him John. So because... Because God is our Father. He has the right, and He's going to rename us with His chosen name that will honor and bless and define who we are for eternity. Mm-hmm. Our earthly parents define, their name defines us while we're living on this planet, but Jesus' name for us defines us for eternity. God, everywhere you look at God, it just gets better and better. Everywhere you look at him, better and better.